0: Bruce Whitfield's Genius Podcast in partnership with Lexus. Subscribe now to catch new episodes dropping weekly to your favorite
1: podcast app.
0: This edition of Genius is a little different. It was recorded live in front of a studio audience at the Gordon Institute of Business Science. In as much as it is the story of a company revolutionizing the way people all over the world use health insurance, It's also a story about the future. As advances in science prolong and improve the quality of human life in ways our grandparents could never have imagined, governments are struggling to fund the healthcare demands of aging populations. Those who can afford it are increasingly going private. Discovery emerged in the dying days of apartheid in South Africa. Founder Adrian Gore will tell his story in just a moment. It all started with a meeting at a small investment bank called Rand Merchant Bank. Gore had a very good day job as an actuary at Liberty, one of the country's leading life assurers, when, through a friend, he found out that a man called Laurie Depenard, one of the co-founders of what is today Africa's most valuable banking group First Rand, was looking for bright ideas. At the time, neither RMB nor RMB nor Laurie Dibnar or Adrian Gore were particularly well known. But let's let Laurie Dibnar describe the first meeting.
1: We had a dormant life insurance license which we didn't know quite what to do with it. So I got a call out of the blue from Adrian requesting a meeting to discuss this license. So he arrived and we started chatting and I asked him "Now, what do you want to do? He clearly was there to see if he could buy it. So his first ideas were particularly appealing. Not that they were bad, they just weren't novel, innovative, or disruptive enough. So I said to him, no, I don't think we want to sell the license on that base. Anyway, I never thought I'd see him again. Then a year later, I get a call. He wants an appointment, comes into the office, and this time he says he wants to use the license for health insurance. And he starts describing the product that he wants to make, which included that savings account. Now, as a bachelor, I'd always lamented about medical aid contributions, which I never claim, and they just lost. And suddenly there's a savings account, and if you don't claim, it's carried forward. So it immediately intrigued me. So I said to him, okay, Adrian, what we must do is you must resign from Liberty Life. I'll pay you for three months at your current salary, and then you must do a business plan. And if we like the business plan, we'll back you on this venture. If we don't, you're on your own and you're going to have to rely on your actuarial qualification. And then, obviously, I was hugely impressed that he immediately was happy to back himself. We gave him an office stuck somewhere in the corner, gave him three months to prepare the business plan. So obviously, there was an initial favorable impression, but we didn't invest on that. What really swung it was a thorough, well-thought-through Display. And we negotiated a deal We Ian uh, Barry got changed for nothing and we put up the initial capital and that was the spot of discovery.
0: Adrian Gore was 27. He was giving up a perfectly secure day job to create something brand new in a country that was falling apart at the seams. There was no guarantee that the 1994 election, still two years away at that point, would happen... And when they did, that they would be peaceful and there would be a miraculous transition to a new order. Despite that, Adrian Gore took up Laurie de offer. The rest, as they say, is history. Now, to the Gordon Institute of Business Science. It's one of those tiered amphitheatres. There's an open space where there are a couple of chairs and an expectant audience. I am very fortunate to be at the front of that audience with Adrian Gore. And in my hands, a framed to-do list written on lined A4 paper with eight key points jotted in what is now almost illegible handwriting in pencil. It's a list of things to do when starting this business, which at this stage is little more than a billion neurons firing in Adrian Gore's brain. I started off somewhat provocatively by suggesting to Adrian Gore that on the day he took his refined idea to Laurie de Bernard, a little more than burning ambition, a bright idea and a hope that it would
2: work. I think it is fairly accurate. I mean, it, it wasn't nothing. Let me, let me try and... Just check it. Let me try and kind of just push back a bit. I mean, firstly, I actually didn't know Lowry at the time, my reputation. RMB was still quite a small bank, and I came from this, in those days, giant liberty life which was kind of really It still is a great company. I mean, I had a very deep conviction about healthcare and how it would play out. I didn't have an actual business plan or a specific product but i had a very deep conviction about building a sophisticated health insurer based on values based on people and a very i think deep sense of trends that were taking place and so that that was the idea and i think i was lucky to have met someone like lori because i think he had a similar mindset about values about purpose about you know the bigger macro issues rather than you know the rands and cents and how does the business plan work but that's how it started, but there was a very deep conviction of, kind of, healthcare is a, is a microcosm of how countries work wherever you go. They're fundamental, and what was taking place in the country, the change is taking place in healthcare at the same time. So the opportunities seemed to be vast, and i have come out of, a, out of liberty. as a young guy, I was 27, I think, at the time, and, and we built this fantastic health insurance product, and its, it's traction has been remarkable.
0: And what did you do when you got to that desk? Because you were by yourself, well, I think, for the first six months. You had to do
2: Come up with a plan. Well, I started like I think any founder starts. You start with a blank sheet of paper, and you don't. I mean, that's the to-do list. I'm a, I'm a list keeper.
0: So this is the to-do list, by the way. It is dated the eleventh of the third, nineteen ninety-one. So is this day one, literally, day, of sitting? Day two. So day, two.
2: day one was the tenth, and in fact, we celebrated our like, thirty years on the tenth of March. Um, but that was the to-do list, and the day out ends of the next day, one eleven, you know, at the end of the first day. And that's how it is. And you can see that, I mean, you start out with, think of administration process. Think of, in our case, think of an actuary. I want to go through some of the points, okay? Point number one, appoint actuary. Consider Pete Williams. Rob Williams. Rob,
0: Rob Williams, your writing's awful. I oh, know. You should have been a doctor. <laughs> or Peter Lumprecht.
2: Yeah. Did either of those that did, work? We did both. In fact, Rob Williams is still part of one of our boards. And then it looks like C. Reed Harper. Rod Harper. Rod Harper. You ran a, an administration company that I thought we could kind of outsource, which we did, in fact. Actually quite, but I actually did quite well. I haven't gone through the list for a long time. Most we can tick off. Okay, good. So
0: that's two. The C. Alistair Hubbard, advert for administrator, date to all tasks, name, logo, and you wrote some names down of people who might get you a name and a logo. You didn't even have a name at no, this stage. No. How long did that take? It took a while.
2: We had a few iterations, and it was quite it's bizarre, I think, in that list.
0: What were your options? Do you
2: remember options? Actually, you know what? Once we used r as the, the shareholder, they had, if you look at their logo, keys. Yes. You know, so we actually stole the idea of Blue Key Life or Health that started. Then they acquired Momentum Life. Yes. And so then we used the Momentum brand initially, right, which was controversial, but actually it, it worked quite well. And then on a flight down to Cato, myself and Barry who was a co founder And then on a flight, we were talking about what do we name the product? You know, and I had this like grandiose corporate health plans and Barry said, what about discovery? You know, it's a discovery. And I said, shit, that's, that's it. We've got it. You know, like most things in life, when you, you got all the research and the, you know, there's an epiphany and that's where the brand started. And uh, that's how we got it. So it wasn't, it was actually one of the longer journeys in the process.
0: Point number six is product development. Good. It's up there. Um, number seven, a business plan. <laughs> Did you ever actually write a business plan?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's an intriguing, I hope it's not bad advice for aspiring entrepreneurs. <laughs> but I, I need to, to Larry Dippenar's credit and the shareholders credit, actually, the first thing you learn about starting a business, have a business plan, what's the capital plan, you know, what are the cash flows? We never had any of that. If it was built on truly on values, purpose, and, and a conviction, there was no business plan. So I raised the capital without any plan at all. And you can see there, I mean, two things you should have is a product and a business plan. Both says that product development commenced with ideas. I read again, lost luck. Like, we didn't have an idea for a product yet. And no business plan. When I but
0: said you had no ideas, that's what I meant. There was, you had no nothing. Plan, no I
2: mean, there were some ideas, obviously. But, but there was no firm, you know, kind of how the product exactly worked. But just bear in mind, there was a, a gap in coverage in what people are experiencing. So how do you cover that gap? And how, you know, I mean, that was... But there was no business plan and in fact we kind of the capital that we allocated was based on what we felt the regulator would need. We built the organisation to this day, not on it's extremely complex and actuarial, but it's it's still based on kind of a, a vision, a purpose, a set of values. You know, that that is what the primacy is, not kind of rands and sensing. So you've got to get both right. But the, the business plan is a is a constraint, it's a necessary thing. But it's not the it's not the liberator.
0: And then point number eight, I can't read. It looks like buy Magnums to take home. Magnum Life or something?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, what happened is RMB acquired, did a deal with this, I forget his name, but Magnum Life was a life insurer. And I think this guy was a crook. And somehow, when the, when the whole thing folded, they took ownership of Magnum Life as, as, as surety. So it was, a, it was a dormant life insurance company sitting in the belly of RMB. And that's how I got there. A mate of mine was a trader of RMB. And he said to me, if you want to start, They've got this dormant life company. Go see Lory. I said, well, who? He said, he's the CEO. Go see him. I'm sure they'll fund this thing. So that's how I got there. So we started out with a shell. It had a 1,000, I think, retirement annuity policyholders. It was Barry's first task to try and solve that problem. What do we do these? And we shifted to another company. But that was the, the problem, how we take this life shell, life company shell, this license, and kind of bring it out. And this these eight points
0: on a page of Fool's Gap, written in pencil and I don't see any scratch out marks I don't see any eraser marks this was your sort of moment of clarity this is what we need to do and this is day two of setting up discovery it's a little bit like finding an original copy of the US Constitution there it is um, it's the start of, of how, how discovery begins thank you for sharing that
2: coming up on Bruce Whitfield's genius podcast the only time it's bad to build in difficult times is if there's Armageddon
0: Have you not felt, though, at various points in South African history, that there has been Armageddon, that Armageddon-like environment? A lot of people feel like we're on the cusp of an Armageddon now. What defines genius? Brilliant mind? Unsurpassed ambition? Perhaps. Lexus believes it's about something different. Authenticity. This lies in the ability to follow that one thing that drives you, that one true part of who you are. That is the root of genius. And that's the authenticity you experience when you're behind the wheel of a Lexus. It's just one way that Lexus makes luxury personal. Book a test drive at your nearest Lexus dealer and experience amazing. And if you want to see how I experienced amazing with the brand new Lexus RX 350 recently, click on the link in the podcast
2: blurb. How many people do you employ now? I think close to fourteen thousand, I' would guess globally. It's
0: an astonishing yeah. growth trajectory, but you grow this you start this business at a time where most of your classmates from university and others are leaving the country, where people are leaving in their droves, as people are doing at the moment, they've lost confidence in the future. What gave you that sense of confidence back then that you could do better here and add more value here? Than you could anywhere else because you could have made it big anywhere else. There's this fellow Musk who's done fairly well. He left at about the same
2: time. Uh, <laughs> In difficult times, when people aren't confident, that's the time to be investing. I'm convinced of it. I mean, I know it intellectually because people are not focused, opportunities are underpriced, everyone thinks it's Armageddon, that's the time to build. It's counterinsurative because people feel when things are really frothy and brilliant, that's when people invest. It's the wrong thing to do. So I've learned intellectually over my journey that's true. The question is, at the time, I had a deep conviction of what we could do. I, I've always had a great sense of the country, in my view, the potential. And I kind of felt it would be, it'd be a great thing to build in that, in, that, in that time. And I was surrounded, I think, and it's for me a lesson, with positive people that we're building. You know what I mean? It's a very, very important attitude, I believe. So at the time, I just, I don't think I thought about the choices. My oldest daughter, Sarah, was just born. So I was taking quite a risk. And I think the only time I thought about it, before that, in February... I went away to the coast to right just before I started. And she was literally a month or two old. She was born in late December. I kind of held up. Am I, you know, it's the only time I remember in the entire journey of any sense of reflection. Is this a risk I'm taking? Am I being responsible here? You know, 27, you, you know, you're full of testosterone and there's no self-doubt. But that's the only time I think I felt that. But I, I never reflected on that, ever. And uh, through the building, it was interesting, you, 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 you may recall, those times, as we moved to democracy, there was uncertainty. Bishu massacre, Boy Patong. I remember that vividly sitting in, in our office, Barry and I, saying, Jesus, you know, this is real. We're sitting here crunching away, typing business plans, and the country's falling apart. And in fact, one of our early leaders, I of my there was a, a rape in his house. And through those moments, somehow I had that conviction that it was a good time to build. In the narrative today, when people ask me, I'm not naive to the threats to the difficulties, but I remain completely convinced the opportunities on now, they need to build. We're building a bank now over the last number of years, I and mean, it's, it's madness. Now we're starting to move. You know, all our detractors two or three years ago, the bank is really moving, getting traction. All the stuff people have told us, if you can't, banks, regulators, it doesn't matter, you know, so it's counting sure to be my journey. I can see the only, the only time it's bad to build in difficult times is if there's Armageddon.
0: Have you not felt, though, at various points in South African history, that there has been Armageddon, that Armageddon-like environment? A lot of people feel like we're on the cusp of an Armageddon now.
2: I don't believe it. I haven't... Uh, there's nothing... I mean, this is the issue, and you know, I can wax lyrical on the stuff. If you look at the data, and you look at the... There's, it's a messy, bumpy ride. A lot of the stuff we face is unacceptable. I don't approve of it. Eskimo locked out, uh, you know, uh, uh, blackouts and all the stuff we're facing. So nothing in my interpretation should, should suggest I'm naive to the issues. I don't approve the corruption. But nothing in the data shows dramatic decline. Quite the opposite. And I think people have this inevitable feeling we're in decline. And at some point, like in a, a bumpy plane, you know, you're not scared of the turbulence. You're scared of there's something big coming up. You know, I don't believe it. And, and I believe one of the biggest challenges we have is to try and explain to South Africans and stakeholders that there is progress, not decline. And if we can change the narrative, you know, you can then really get lifted. Because I, I'm a great believer narrative drives fundamentals. Not the other way around. It's a fundamental thing. And I know it as a leader. A leader's role is to shape the narrative, give people hope, find positive signals. And there's a lot of stuff to be positive about. And the other part I know is this issue of loss aversion. You know, we know that from behavioral economics. When people feel there's something to lose, they are motivated. And we have to think about our country of what we've got to lose. It's a, it's a massive complex, fantastic country of problems, but there's a lot to lose. This flippant, running it down, I mean, decline, writing it off is irresponsible. So I have a a deep sense as a leader we have to do that, and only if you fear Armageddon should you not invest. My sense is, wherever you are in the world, if difficult times do come, the effort of building puts you in a better place always. Even in 1991, had the journey to democracy been a failure, I would have been better placed then, that I would have been just waiting for time to improve. Even if you fail, you'll have done better than just sitting and moaning and bleating and inactivity. So I read in the book, uh, Dr. Seuss, Oh, the Places You Will Go. It
0: is the third best best
2: business book ever written. It's brilliant, but The Waiting Place. You remember The Waiting Place? Yes. That is the place not to be. If you
0: haven't read Dr. Seuss' Oh, the Places You Will Go, when you do and it doesn't bring you to tears, you need to go for therapy. It is truly a most magnificent book. One thing that I've learned over more than 20 years of interacting with people like yourself and and many, many others is that there are a couple of things that people like yourself have in common. One of those, and I'd be curious as to test this with you, is that builders are optimists. And not optimists in the, oh, it'll all be all right, kumbaya, let's sit around the campfire and toast marshmallows kind of way. It'll be, there is an opportunity, we can exploit the opportunity we can grow in this environment when there's all kinds of hell flying around. There's no competition, really, because nobody else wants to take the risk. And I get a sense from so many of the people who have started their businesses in South Africa in the last 30 years that that is a very common thread that runs through them. I think optimism and
2: the ability to be positive is a fundamental attribute, fundamental I don't think it's very important. It doesn't mean that you're not seeing the risks. It doesn't mean that you're not acknowledging issues and problems. It doesn't mean that you don't have downtime and you have bouts of depression and worry and whatever it is that you may personally face. But it's a steely belief that the world is getting better and you can make it through. Whatever the situation is, we can make this thing work. I'm not sure if that's an innate quality or it's a learned ability. But the flip side is I think if you're a negative person, believes things are getting worse, you will never build. It's it's not possible. I don't believe it's possible to actually build. You have to believe that things are good, people are good, you can make a way through, opportunity is there, and you'll get kicked back and you'll get knocked. And I've seen in our own journey, we face the most unbelievable things. And somehow, I always believe that our team believed, not not myself, our team believed, there's a way through this. There's
0: some way through.
2: But that's the difference,
0: again, between optimists and people who capitulate. And that is that ability to navigate complexity, the ability to navigate negativity, and the ability to focus on the goal at hand. Most people sort of give up at the first hurdle, or at least the second or third hurdle, that ability to be persistent through some really difficult times and in quite a hostile environment. I mean, business isn't loved in South Africa um, by both public and private sectors generally.
2: No, I t- totally, totally agree. I, th- I think the just to make a point, and we've we done a lot of work on this, the last spoke spoken a lot about it, but seeking positive Signals is the sophisticated ability. Seeking negative signals is how we coded. We we evolved in an environment of, of scarcity of physical dangers. So our coding is to look for negative things. That's how we survive. We are we are the descendants of people who look for liars, who are scared of things. That's how that's why we have people who are positive got eaten, right? But the problem is now in our world today we must code it. The threats are not physical. They are systemic threats, and the threats are not too little of food there's too much of food so we miscode so we actually are are primitively negative if you read the press people think that these negative views are very sophisticated if you're positive you are naive but it's a mistake it's hard hard, to be an optimist you've got to seek I'm not just being often I think it's about seeking positive signals you know in the whole thing you can say you're Eskim and this and that and the Ukraine and inflation But if that's all you're seeing, that's a very primitive response. The the sophisticated response is to try and see, well, in that, what are the opportunities, you know? And I, I think that's the leadership challenge of building a business is that you need to see the negative. You need to see the risks. But you've got to seek out the positive stuff. And we've had some times in our evolution where we faced absolute shutdown. Our whole business model was built from 1992 on the idea of medical savings accounts. You recall, maybe. I remember the regulators tried to shut str- it down. They changed the entire business model. And then actuarial pricing of risk. That was my key thing, that risk was not priced properly. We priced risk based on proper actuarial principles, you know, gender, health status, duration, etc. And then along comes the regulator and says, listen, in a post-apartheid South Africa, there's no discrimination. Community rating, our entire business model was turned on its head. And we actually, I remember one of our key guys that's landed in the U.S. with us, a brilliant guy, tried for six months to figure it out. And he came to my house one morning on our, like, 20-hour-a-day trying to fix it. He says, I'm telling you, we are not going to make it. You're going to get in. It's not possible. Because think about it. You've got, a, you've got half a million people covered. They've come, they've come into this pool on accurate pricing. So when you flatten out the price, the healthy and young were paying less. So you, you increase their price, and you decrease the price of the sick. So what happens? Healthy and young opt out. We couldn't figure it out. I remember a moment in time and said, listen, we are, we're in big shit. Excuse my language. We're not going to make this. We have to figure this out. And I think once you turn and you face the wave, you say, listen, it is what it is. How do we figure this out? We came up with a brilliant actuarial structure that actually we realized once this works, we're going to leave the space. I mean, the irony is that the re- our competitors felt this regulation would take us out. If anything, it kind of just accelerated our growth. From that experience, I kind of believe, and there's no hubris, and I hope I never face Armageddon, but if you throw anything at a small team, they will figure it out. With the right leadership, you've got to just keep, you just keep knocking at it. There is a way through. There is a way through. So, what is the genius then of Adrian Gore? I don't, know, I don't acknowledge the, the label, but I, I think the attributes I have that have made me successful, as successful, is I think there is a determination and a dogged nature of there's a way through. I think I'm good in ambiguity. I think you have to be able to manage ambiguity. Things are never clear. And I think, my, I think my skill is I connect dots between things. You know, you can hire brilliant clinicians, actuaries, technology people with IQs of 5,000, but the ability to see complexity and kind of connect the dots between them as to what might happen and where the opportunities are, that I think is the thing I do in our organization. Whether I do it well or not, I think that's it's a fundamental skill, I think, in a very complex, certainly global environment we you deal with healthcare and geopolitical issues and... Actuarial issues. And uh, fundamentally, I I'm a, I create hope and vision. I mean, that's what I think my role is. So I'm not sure it's a genius, but I'm best at that. As a trained actuary, I can get into the detail, but I'm top-down. I'm not a bottom-up leader. I'm a top-down. You know, I start with a purpose. I start with a vision. And if they drag me into the spreadsheets, I'll do it. You know what I mean? But I won't start in the spreadsheets. I don't believe you build great stuff by starting bottom-up. You've got to be top-down. That's my approach i'm not sure that's encapsulates it, i'm not sure that's genius i think that's just my proclivity you know that you thrive in complexity
0: most people try to simplify things down to its barest essence it strikes me that you love the complexity you love the fact that you actually create as you have developed the discovery business in all of its various iterations you've thrived in the complexity of knowing you're building huge barriers to entry for anybody else
2: Yes, I think it's true, but I I actually thrive. I was brought up in a contrarian family. I thrive in pursuit of like the the, the inconsistencies piss me off. You know what I'm saying to you? They irritate me. I thrive in trying to find my team knows this. I'm you know, we look for data like the South Africa story. It annoys me the narrative versus the reality. You know, if you look at the data, doesn't tally with the reality. You know what I'm saying to you? If you look at the, the, the middle class, how it's grown over time. But when you make business decisions based on the facts, when you're building your plans, let the others moan about this stuff and plan appropriately. Because that's so I, when you say complexity, I'm in pursuit of always trying to find what the data shows, what's really going on. And wherever we dig, we find differences between what people think is dogma, it's fact versus reality. There's always a difference. And there's so little work done on this stuff, there's opportunity. So I grew up in a home that focused on education and truth and My parents are, nothing is more important than you go get an education. And, you know, that's my mother hates business, thinks, like yeah, you must be a crook if you've built it. There's something wrong. Something you've done wrong. You know what I mean? But the point is, there's a a dogged belief in, in intellectual truth, you know? And I think that kind of upbringing has created a session with understanding complexity systems, how they come together.
0: I mean, one looks at the intellectual property within Discovery. One looks at the exco of Discovery. There's nowhere to hide for the individuals within Discovery. By reputation, you put the smartest people you can find in a room, and then you make them sweat. They have to deliver on it. The critical hiring. Had you hired somebody
2: else other than Barry Swartzberg, how different would the journey have been, for example? I think journey would have been completely different. I think the, one of our values, intellectual leadership and great people, has been always about this issue of obsession with getting the best people. It's a critical thing. I keep relearning the power of quality of people. You know, so if you, from the get-go, I knew starting discovery, the intuition when, you, when you're starting a business, and I think coming out of a corporate is, I want to be the boss, I want to be the smartest, I want to be the, in my days in Liberty Life, the Donald Gordon who kicked, or he didn't, but I am saying, I want to keep people around as well. That's a mistake. If you want to create, build a great business, you've got to get people truly smarter than you. You've got to, I believe, create an environment where they feel free and safe to be critical, I mean, I've got very strong views. Our colleagues will know we fight and scream in the Exco, But it's a safe environment. And my role is to try to keep it on the even keel. But I tell you, in hiring, it's not a linear process. If people are 50%, your result is not 50%, it's 10%. Mm. The belief in the tail, everything in a network system is a Pareto. You've got a tail, you know, the Pareto distribution, 80-20. There's a small piece in the tail that's driving the results. And the same thing in organization. There's often a small group in the tail that make the difference. And if you've got smart, smart people in the entire distribution, the guys in the tail are super smart. Your average is so much better. I cannot stress the worst thing you can do in a business is accept one individual that's mediocre. I'm completely obsessed about hiring the absolute best. It doesn't mean the, the best box at university. It means EQ is big. It's bigger than IQ. IQ itself is not enough. And integrity and values are everything. No matter how smart the people are if if they don't, agree with your value system that are a problem and in fact if they're super smart they're even a bigger problem because they're effective and they become a problem in your side so unless you can get people that are behind you behind the purpose of the organization i think you'll fail so i'm obsessed about people and we have fights in some areas in our business where we've got media for people I ask our how did this how did it happen we hire absolutely the best you don't get in here unless you are and it's, it's about values. It's not about marks or whatever. And I think with diversity, we're learning about just by gender, by race, by, by degree. I mean, I came out of the actual, I thought only actuaries can really, you know, really understand stuff. And how wrong I was, you know, having people from an art stage, like journalism, marketing people. So I'm overstating it, but I cannot tell you the importance of that. The one thing that's not on your to-do list, which we've
0: ticked off all eight things on that list, was going global. At what point did you look at the business you were building and go, "This has got application elsewhere?"
2: That was about 1998, which is actually I think now. it was idiotic. We were six years out of the gate, right? Literally. And we launched only in '93, but it takes a year to build. And in '98 we started a small insurer in Chicago, a health insurer in America. I mean, how mad is that? <laughs> I think about it. We were so gutsy and had conviction that the truth... But everybody was doing it. There was a mixture of
0: fear about the future of South Africa. There was an enormous self-belief as we were watching SAB take over the world of brewing in Eastern Europe and through Africa and doing all sorts of things. We were riding the crest of the wave. The one thing that we lack today, which we didn't have at all, then was self-belief. It was full of self-belief.
2: I do believe that. Listen, I think that we had... The concept of vitality and medical savings accounts was powerful. And we're getting signals from potential partners in the U.S. that we should try this. So it wasn't an out-of-court idea. This is Destiny Health, right? Destiny Health. And uh, we started as a startup in Chicago. I mean, so think about it a to-do list. You come to Chicago, you've got mm-hmm. no, no people, no capital, you're a small South African company. But we built, and I'm often asked, we, the company now is Vitality in the U.S. We failed, basically. We, we kind of eventually shut it down as a health insurer. And I've often been asked about this. Was it painful? I'm, I'm paid to be controversial. It was one of the best things we ever did. I'm as proud of that evolution as most of the stuff we've done. We've got to 80,000 lives in Chicago. we got to almost a break-even situation. A small startup. And the reason for failure was that the, the, networks, the healthcare networks in that area had become super competitive in pricing. And we just couldn't do the deals on the cost of healthcare. But all that learnings from that experience shaped us.
0: You also made a, a decision. You got to a billion rand, which is a lot of money today. It was a lot more then. You got to a billion rand in losses, and you went. It's time to cut this thing.
2: It's true. I remember. It's amazing how things like that. You remember, I was on a ferry in Europe, and Barry for me and said, the, it wasn't actually it wasn't the loss. It was the loss ratio. In other words, you know, the, the actual measure of claims divided by premiums. It exceeded certainly. We realized there and then." that we cannot get that fast point down. I remember in that call we said, you're done, we want to shift. So it's, you know the end comes quickly. I think taking big steps, you've got to do as not entrepreneur. you really have to. And uh, I've taken big steps for building a bank that's cost us eight billion. The scale of these things is big, but you've, you've got to do them, you know, um, if you want to scale. I do not think that we'd be anywhere where we are today without that, that sense of confidence, which we still have. And I think the learnings from that, we learned a huge amount of fundamental things Not to do. But what you did have and what you had created was Vitality,
0: which is now a global program, which you've attached in more than 30 countries to, what, 40 insurers around the world or thereabouts. I think I haven't got the latest numbers. But at that sort of scale where Vitality is now the global offering of
2: discovery. That's right. I mean, I think the main thing we learned was the power of partnerships. To start an institutional business in America or in Hong Kong, I mean, you've got no chance. As a South African company, we're part of the best. I mean, it's bizarre that an AIA or a John Hancock in America relies on our model, you know. It's quite remarkable. What is it
0: about Vitality that people would rather use yours than create their own? What is in, built into this thing, the 11 herbs and spices or whatever the Coca-Cola recipe is that is locked inside a safe in Atlanta? What is, I don't expect the recipe, but there is something in that that people feel it's just too complex
2: to create themselves, that they'd much rather just yeah. layer yours on top. Listen, I, think it, I think at its simplest level, people said it has a very nice loyalty program that links you to health. But in reality, there's a, a technology layer that makes it possible on the face of the mobile, links it to networks. There's a data layer that links all the correlations and the causal effects of these behaviors on the actual factors of death and sickness. There's all the programs that we have, you know, it's Apple Watch with Apple, and it's a multi-layered issue that is very hard to build. There are competitors around the world, but I think we are the leader in linking behavior into financial services, You know, pricing it in. And I think the as it rolls the data and the combined effect of that makes it harder and harder to copy. So we're in a phase now of a Vitality 2.0 about well, I, I, I see us being hopefully the best at predicting illness. You know, we should be able to see you know, for all the data we have, the correlations. We see that you're pre-diabetic. You know, Can we avert it? So can we personalize the journey completely to a point of precision. And I think we're close to that. You know, So that's a very big step for us. But I think if we, could, we had a presentation last night from our US team about how we can do that, kind of really personalizing the, 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 the pathway, personalizing the risk factors, making available this gateway concept. And it's a great story of innovation. So it is multi is We've got a lot to do. Hard to replicate, but I believe we should be much further than we are. I think we're moving too slowly at the moment. And that frustrates you. You like to move quickly. Yeah, it does. It does. frustrates me. It takes me way too long. I've got no... Again, I hope I don't offend anyone. I can't handle three-year business plans and pilot tests and nonsense. You know what I mean? I to see results. When I had a meeting with one of the businesses yesterday. It was quite a tough meeting. They're a fantastic business, but they're drifting into incumbency. You know what I mean? And I listened to the leadership. These are super smart people, but they are... They're talking well, about technology and this will take a bit of time and, you know, be patient. That is, I'm telling you, I know I've seen it before. It is you drifting into incumbency. To me, you've got 90 days for three big things. And there's going to be consequences if we don't get to those three things. For all of us, we've got to actually get there. But it's amazing you sit in that kind of intensity, how people rise to the challenge. I'm left behind in the debate. But you've got to create that urgency. That I, I believe as a business gets bigger you're drifting to incumbency so quickly you don't even realize when you look up you're just a big lumbering business drinking cognac in the in the boardroom and then it's over
0: we've seen it happen time and time again where management teams become comfortable where share prices are moving in the right direction where incentive schemes are, are kicking in everyone is happy everyone is having a great time do you see your job as being like a little bit like little red riding hood with a little basket of hand grenades running through the forest and just occasionally going into a room and tossing one there just to see what happens. I know a guy who used to do that. He'd walk into his tourism business and he'd go, oh, brochure distribution's a mess. He didn't know whether brochure distribution was a mess or not, but he knew that it would be better once he left. Or do you go on the data?
2: I go on the data, I think. I'm I'm not that cavalier. And I'm very careful. Because people are, I mean, our organization has done well. The businesses are strong. I mean, you can quite easily wreck leadership and undermine great people. You've got to be very careful. So my approach, and my colleagues will know this in our exco you know, we're going through a straight process now for the next number of years, is to just try and tease out the issues. I mean, I'd like to be much more blunt. I've got much stronger thought than I think I could say, but I won't. I think, I think the art of leadership is you've got to get people to come with you, and often I can tell you, I hope I don't sound hubris, because often my hunches are wrong. Often the, the strong views I come into a meeting, you've got 12 people in a, in a, in a team. Not, you know, eight out of ten times, the group is smarter than you are, you know, even more. So I come into a meeting with a very strong set of convictions, and often I turn around completely. But the process of questioning, of, of just you know, teasing it out, you won't believe the differences. I think if we didn't do that as a team, we'd be nowhere. And I'm worried about that incumbency issue. I think as you are more successful. I don't look at the share price. I think that's a lot of dribble. really. You want to look at the underlying growth rate, all the measures going the right way. Have you got inherent growth that you believe is happening?
0: And you're also creating not only complexity in your home market, which you know intimately, but you went and you bought Prudential businesses in the UK, and I think those are the businesses that trade also now under the Vitality brand. Do you see the advertising on the sides of sports events and things like that. You've teamed up with AIA and you've put uh, Johnny Brumberg in charge of a digital health insurance business in Asia. You've got 25% now or 20% of Ping An Health, which is the health division of the world's biggest insurance company called Ping An in China, which we need to talk about in just a moment. But it's an astonishing global complexity which really has exploded in probably the last eight years.
2: Yeah, I think the last... Two years have been really good for us, really good for us. I think the COVID environment moved to kind of a focus on health. I think every insurer is focused on that, so it has been. That's my issue now, I think, how you monetize and how you scale that, because we've got an amazing footprint now. But I, I have to say, although it looks complex, ironically, I think the model is very well disciplined, the vitality model, the tiers, you know, the data, the tech, the incentive layers. And more and more, we, we're developing a lot of that more centrally, you know, where we can kind of invest in the technology. Is it being developed in South Africa and export? Actually, the team, the team is being led in the U.S., but it's got a lot of South African elements to it. The problem with the SA is that we are so sophisticated here. The stuff we're doing here is a bit ahead of the game. So it's hard to kind of replicate that everywhere. The other stuff is much more bigger at scale. Sumitomo Life is like Japanese partner. They're a machine. I mean, they've done a million people in a short space of time. Proper, the vitality model, heavy, Apple's or a Stay the old stuff. But they move very, very carefully. There's no like glitches, you know, if there's one system error where they come to meetings with a a sword to take your head off, you know. It's it's complicated stuff, but you had less margin for error. It would be much more simple, clear. I mean the opportunity there is to is to scale that more dramatically. And the step with AIA Amplify, you mentioned Johnny Brunberg, is a proper health tech business with AI, it's a massive business across Asia of actually taking all the discovery health, not just vitality assets, and managing health insurance across the region. Very, very exciting. So in an embryonic phase, I mean, I, I must say, when I look at the to-do list, I, I'm kind of back there. I have never moved from there. That's what's made it so appealing. I've never really felt we had, we've arrived. I'm always in the J-curve, you know? The principles
0: of discovery, are those the same principles, the same systems, the same ideas, the same values, the same technologies, essentially in every single one of the geographies that you're in? Vitality is vitality no matter where you are, no matter who you attach it to.
2: There are variations, but the vitality model is very, very similar. The verticals we're dealing with, the architecture, the points, uh, different regulatory environments have different li- limitations on what you can do with health and wellness and how you price it in. But the principles are the same. And I tell you this, the more we stick to the principles, the more unequivocal the results become. As soon as you let things stray, and I've learned that, I can tell you, again, it's something I very really believe in. There's a lot of work on this issue. But unless you have a repeatable model, you can't scale mm. It's a critical thing. You know, I think that's, that's a lesson for businesses. People do well here. They say, well, why don't we try, you know, do something. Initial model is working and you know what makes it work, if you're not repeating it, well, then you're just trying something new and your chance of success is so little. So scaling a business globally and I think South African businesses generally haven't done it well is proper repeatability. Can you repeat and scale? And there are 10 things that you know work that you must always do and there are 10 things that won't work. In other markets, that you need to know. You know you're not going to impose a South African culture on the UK or on Asia. It's different. People have different issues. So, learning those, what really is repeatable, what isn't repeatable, is a, a critical issue. But that's a, it's a simple epiphany I had. I think there's work done by Bain, I hate to say it, but one of the guys said, They did some good work. Yeah, yeah, before the state capture issue, right? Uh, but but the, the concept of a repeatable model that you cannot scale. Unless you have a repeatable model. So it's just simple. It mm-hmm. sounds obvious. But if you're not repeating, then you're doing something new. And if it's something new, well, why you? You know, mm-hmm. What chance of you? It's like starting a new business. We know Vitality works. I know how it works. Just have to get our partners to do it. And it will just... I saw the results coming out of Japan. Same as we've seen here. Same stuff. Same gig, you know, So that's the key.
0: And you're running it all from a mothership in Santon? And from your home office, which is yeah, it's a nice big home office. I've seen pictures of it. it. It's kind of weird, isn't it, to be operating across every
2: single time zone in the world, effectively? Um, well, actually, you know, we've got teams. We've got three big teams, the SAPs, the UK, and then the Vitality Global, which Barry, in fact, uh, is in charge of. All three are very, very strongly strong leaders. So I don't see – I'm not sitting in an office with, you know, those clocks, you know what I mean, and running the world, you know, come in it is a luck we've got three very strong teams our UK team under Neville Coupitz has built a brilliant business the UK is is state of the art it's at our best I'm kind of the, more what you were saying earlier my job is to second guess to push to probe I'm not controlling I don't believe you can do that I kind of I, I let that go see what I get a kick out of it again I think it's, for me it's very important I'm proudly South African I travel all over the place when people tell me how about things in your country I say yeah oh, there are issues but it's a great country Never talk your country down. People don't, they don't respect you for it. No, I think they do. They don't. They respect people to say, listen, it's tough, but we're building there. So I'm proudly grounded here. Don't find it very ineffective. And I think the Zoom era has made life a lot easier, a lot easier for us. It, it has opened the world, hasn't yeah. it? There's deal in Asia, the deal with AIA. Yeah. We have a long, we have a 10-year history with AIA, but that would have taken me 30 trips to China to close down. Instead, still took 100 Zoom calls over 18 months, but still... <laughs> It, it would have taken a year of life to get that deal done. You can do so much more today than I think you could do back then. How important is luck? I think luck is important. I, I do believe Gary Player, the, what do you say, the harder I work, the luckier I get. I do think there is something about that. You do have to be lucky. The timing is luck. But against that, if things don't go well, I think I do think hard work creates luck. I think if you just keep at it, if you interrogate it enough, it will confess. You've just got to keep pushing. So I do believe luck is important, but I don't believe it's the total. I think it's hard work. I do believe that. Optimism, Optimism, hard work, and urgency. Urgency is, is to me, you asked about those attributes. We've done a lot of work on this by team. Optimism, urgency. Don't come with three years and two years and we'll wait, that's it's drivel. It may take you that time, but don't start thinking that way. As a leader, you've got 90 days. That's far out for me. I know systems take time, but in three years, the world's different. Everything you thought about now will be different. Suddenly, I, at 27, I knew I was close to death. I felt that time is running out. My kids told me they want to go in a gap year. I'm like, Jesus, don't do that. <laughs> you haven't got time. It doesn't mean you've got to work. Like, I'm a believer you've got low time. And it doesn't mean if you've missed a boat and you're 50, it doesn't mean you can't do it now. But if you're doing it now, you've got low time. You've just got to be flat out. So to me, optimism, urgency, I think vision is critical. And that sense of time is limited. is such a critical threat.
0: How important is originality? Somebody like Richard Branson, for all of his astonishing success... I don't think it's created anything particularly new other than an extraordinary brand, which he's attached then to insurance and telecommunications and airlines and holidays and all kinds of gyms and all kinds of businesses. The, the brand is original. It has its own value set. Nick Dreyer, who makes Felskund shoes, all he did was put some colorful soles on them and some colorful shoelaces, trademarked the name Felskund, and that was his moment of genius. Nothing original there other than the smart idea of tra- trademarking the name.
2: I think innovation is vital. Success, by definition, is the difference to the mediocre. I mean, that is success. You're, you're different. And how you get that is always original, has some innovation. It might be he spotted felt-schoon that's an old brand, everyone knows it, but I'm going to actually change it into something modern. I mean, I, I think Brian Joffe bought that company. he sent him a pair of blue soled Feldskun. I mean, I think Richard Branson was remarkably innovative. You know, although the underlying businesses weren't, they're kind of the swashbuckling entrepreneur, you know, and balloons. I mean, I've I've done some work with him. He is really an authentic guy. He really yeah. is a special guy. So that is an innovative brandy creator. I think the original airline was innovative. You can shrink your way to success if you get a very smart cost cutter who takes over a big industrial. And that is success. But I, I think real success is about some level of, of difference. You know, innovation is too broad a word, but some level of doing things differently, creating something different. I mentioned i not a great business guy. I want to make impact. I think impact is about... What society needs, if we can make people healthier properly, we've had an impact. We can predict the illness and, and make 20 million people healthier. That's a great legacy. And I think that's what business should be in pursuit of. Real purpose, real impact. Not we made more money by cutting expenses and firing 100 people. I mean, you can do that, but I'm not convinced that is real success. What advice do you give your kids? Other than uh, don't take a gap year ever. I actually, I think I'm giving this the same stuff about being positive, about being patriotic. So I think it's an important issue. I think knowing your roots, knowing your, where you come from and valuing that, wherever you end up, is an important issue. I think the value of education and knowledge and truth. And my kids have all gone different ways. It's quite amazing. All of them are hardcore. My one is a legal activist. She, she, she cannot understand what I've done with my life. You know. She's horrified by, you know, she's a bit like my mother. She's not, she, she works with Edwin Cameron in the prison service. I mean, she's pretty hardcore. My boy is, a, is, a, is an actor in our bank. So they're all very, very different, but I think they're all trading the same value system of urgency, of impact, purpose. You know, at the end of the day, that's what, it, that's what matters.
0: If you go back to that uh, sitting on Clifton Beach with your daughter, age 27, having that moment of doubt, what do you, does the current Adrian tell that 27-year-old Adrian? What do you wish you'd done differently?
2: I actually don't think I have regrets. I'd say to that 27-year-old, it's good to have some doubt, but stay confident. Don't let it taste over. You know, keep the, keep the reality checked, but stick with your conviction. Obviously, if you're not educated, you're there's no, you don't have capital to take risks. But if you are, you'll figure it out. Even if you fail, you'll have go further. That is like the human cognitive error that setting goals is seen as irresponsible. It's not. Striving for great things is seen as unreasonable and irrational. It's not. If you do those things, you get further. Even if you fail, You'll get infinitely further than just sitting in that cubicle, typing away. It's, you're destined to far. It's a guarantee. My advice to my kids is try that. If you don't achieve it, make some impact. That's worthwhile. That's all it's about.
0: And that is the story of Discovery. Founder and chief executive of the global powerhouse that is Discovery, Adrian Gore, recorded live at the Gordon Institute of Business Science. Bruce Whitfield's Genius Podcast, in partnership with Lexus. Subscribe now to catch new episodes dropping weekly to your favorite podcast app. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Another will drop in a week's time. Remember, you can see me experience amazing in the brand new Lexus RX 350 by clicking on the link in the blurb of this episode. Go on.
2: You know you want to.